Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries. Welcome to Jewish Awareness Podcast, a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. On Friday nights at our headquarters, we host a Bible study. Generally, we do verse-by-verse studies of different books of the Bible. These studies can be viewed live through the JAM Facebook live stream platform on Fridays. If you have questions or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org. Email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919 919- Two seven five four four seven seven. Enjoy the Bible study. And this section will focus primarily on Abraham and Sarah. Brings us to what I call the parents of our faith, Abraham and Sarah. Uh, after writing about the faith of Abel and Enoch, now I I just put this thought in there. It's you know you don't have Adam in this list. You start with um, uh, Abel, you go on to Enoch, but you don't have uh, Adam. Why, why don't you have Adam? Anybody want to take a stab at it? Pardon? Well, that's what the chapter's about. Is I, I think he believed. I think we're going to see Adam in heaven. I think we're going to see Eve in heaven. And, and to believe, you have to have faith. Uh, but he isn't in this list. Not that you can put everybody in this list. As we get to the end of the chapter, uh, we'll certainly see that there are others that we can speak of, and some did this and that and so on. Uh, but he's left out. I, I, I think there's a, there's a, um, a basic reason why, um, I think. I, and this is where you get into, I think, Sanctified speculation. You know, I've talked about sanctified speculation before because the Bible doesn't say why. Um, but Adam walked with God. God walked with Adam. And, and walked with him, not in the sense that we walk with God. You know, we use ki- Christian terminology. You, know, you need to walk with the Lord. You know, and, and I, I've seen cartoons before, you know, when un- an unsaved person hears that. Or somebody, maybe it was just, what do you mean walk with the Lord? Is he going to come right next to me and we're going to walk together to the movies or whatever? Uh, and and we, we know when we communicate that, we need to obey God. We need to follow God. We need to do what he wants. But, but when you walk with someone, well, Adam literally walked with God. Uh, and he was there in, in, in some way. Uh, and kind of like different, I don't think he, uh, you know, in the millennium. Uh, people will walk with God. They will see Jesus in the flesh. Uh, but after the garden, uh, faith, as it says, things not seen. Um, Abel didn't see God. Uh, Enoch didn't see, even though Enoch got prophecies, but they didn't see God. Now, there were some that saw God uniquely in the theophanies, that type of thing. But perhaps that's why Adam is not in the list. Um, be that as it may. Um, after writing about the faith of Abel and Enoch, we are first told about Abraham, who probably as much as any biblical personage embodies faith, the man of faith. Then, one that is often not considered as faithful, Sarah, is said to be a woman of faith. You know, we, we never tend to think of Sarah as a woman of faith. We think of her as, I wouldn't say faithless, but certainly, she would be the doubting, um, what's the female word for Thomas? Um, the Thomasella of the Old Testament, I guess. Whatever. You know, oh, you know the, the whole story, and we'll look at those verses earlier. But Sarah is, is, is put in here as, as a woman of faith. Now, Abraham, we certainly consider that, uh, and we see his life. But Abraham and Sarah are in this portion of Scripture Uh, our parents uh, in the faith, and both as spoken of as being faithful. Now, I think there are at least four principles that we can learn from these two individuals. Number one, if God calls you to go somewhere, you don't need all the answers to what will occur. 
just go. You know, God, you know, if God gave us all the answers ahead of time of, of what we're looking at, most of us would say, okay, God, thanks for the offer, but I think I'm going to go you know, hold the garden or whatever the case might be. So we don't need all the answers. If God calls you to go somewhere, just go. Secondly, Abraham remained where he was called even through difficult circumstances. And the reason he could persevere is he knew God had a better place prepared for him. So he was able to persevere through difficult circumstances, knowing that God had brought him to where he was, but as importantly, knowing that his future was secure and ultimately he had a better place. Ultimately a city built without hands. Thirdly, although initially doubting the promises of God, she, Sarah, overcame her doubts and she judged him faithful who had promised. So being, um, again, not faithless, but being doubting at times and questioning at times uh, is not a death sentence on your life with the Lord, on your Christian walk with the Lord, if you want to use that terminology. Uh, you can get up, you can continue your walk, and you can ultimately become a, a faithful person for the Lord. Sarah did it. Fourthly, Abraham and Sarah, as well as Isaac and Jacob, because in verse 9 it mentions these all, embraced the promises of God and considered themselves strangers and foreigners as their city was to be built by God. So they understood that they were here tempor temporarily that their home was in heaven, that their citizenship was in the new Jerusalem, that it wasn't here. That guided them, that motivated, that led them. And all of these things can be applied to our lives. So when we look at verse 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place where he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whether he went. And when we looked at faith in the very, very beginning, uh, faith is the substance of uh, things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And the substance there, again, is the foundation, the title deed, the basis of our faith. And that substance, that title deed, that foundation of our faith is the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so biblical faith is always based on the Word of God. It's not a leap in the dark. It's not uh, whatever it might be. It's, it's solidly grounded, or should be, on the Word of God. The evidence of things not seen, it's the evidence in our life that we believe it. It's not apologetics. It's not reasons why we should believe the gospel. It's not reasons why we believe the Bible is the word of God. Uh, it's none of that stuff. Um, I, I, she's probably listening, so I won't mention her name. You know, I talked to Alan about it. I had somebody email me and, and, um, or, and a text. I guess that's email. I don't know, whatever. She had a question. And, uh, and, and she said... Um, there was a recent scientific discovery released this week or last week, I forget when it was, that has determined that all humans um, uh, came from the same mom and dad. And she said, have you heard about this scientific discovery? Have, do you, are you aware of it? Can you, can you help me with it? She didn't like my response. So I wrote back and said, well, I, I've got some ancient evidence for you. I would suggest you read Genesis chapter 1 through 4, and uh, I think it was Acts 17, that we come from one blood and that type of thing. And, and the point I was made, I don't need science. I, I don't care what science says. If science is correct, it's ultimately going to line up with this book. That was the point I was trying to get across. If the Bible says it, that's good enough for me. I don't need science to prove that the Bible's true. Uh, and I have, I have, I have friends in in in, in uh, science ministries. You know, ICR Institute of Creation Research answers Genesis. Uh, I've known all the directors there, and so. And I have no problem with that ministry. I have no problem with that. Um, 
I, I mentioned, Alan and I had to go to a meeting this morning, and um, we were talking on the way back, and I mentioned to Alan, and Cheryl will remember this, but when we were in California, we knew, um, we, we attended the same church. A lot of people from uh, Institute of Creation Research attended. And we got to know a lot of the visiting professors in the summer who came from all over the country to, to, um, to teach in the Institute there of Creation Research. And they'd come to this little Bible church. We got to know them and yada, yada. So we got to know Danny Faulkner. And Danny Faulkner uh, is an astrophysicist. I think that's what he is. And Danny invited me. He lived in California. He now serves with Answers in Genesis. He moved to Kentucky where they are. And so Danny invited me to come and preach in South Carolina where there's a little Bible church we moved out when we moved out here years ago from California. And it was a church of what? 40 people, I think, very small. So we went there, um, Cheryl and I, it was just on the other side of Charlotte, I mean, it's right on the border. And Danny gave me a video. And Danny said, he said, I, I just got this. It's the only copy that I have. Probably be others coming, I don't know. But he said, would you watch it and critique it for me? And what it was, it was a debate that Danny had with U. Ross. Anybody know U. Ross? Okay, U. Ross is a th claims to be a Christian and is a theistic evolutionist. He believes that evolution is true and that God used evolution to create man. So, so I listened to the debate, and Danny, Danny, and, and when I, 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 he said, critique it for me. And it didn't take me long. I wasn't critiquing every moment of it. I said, here's the problem. Or here's the issue. I, see, I said, you, Ross, debates from evolution to the Bible. You debate from the Bible to evolution. In other words, you base what you believe on the Bible. And anything that contradicts or lines up with, the Bible is right or wrong. You, Ross believes that evolution is true and thus has to bring evolution into the Bible and does it. He said, you hit the nail on the head. That's the whole thing. That's the nutshell. That's the whole debate. Uh, now, I don't know if, you know, that's the point I was trying to make um, in that, the Word of God. We don't need all, if you really believe the Bible, you don't need all these evidences. Yeah, they just found a ring in Israel with Pontius Pilate's name on it. Fascinating. You know, somebody sent me a, an email. Have you heard about this? And, and, and he's he believes the word of God. I said, yeah, I heard about it. I said, if we get rid of the PA, we would be blown away by all that we would find, and no pun intended. Um, but I don't need that evidence. I don't need to see a ring with Pilate's name, and neither does this man who sent it to me. There's all kinds of finds of the this is the Word of God. This is what, you know, remember with Lazarus and the, and the uh, rich man, and rich man died and went to hell, and Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom, and the rich man said, you know, if, if send Lazarus to speak to my five brothers, that they don't come into this place. And what was the response? If they don't hear the Word of God, if they don't hear Moses, the prophets, they're not going to believe if someone ro rose from the dead. The Word of God. The substance of our faith, and you can't emphasize it enough, is the Word of God. The evidence is we live in light of it, and that's what you have in this chapter. If we really believe the Bible's the Word of God, we're going to live in light of it. That's what it's saying about Abraham and Sarah and all of them as we go through here. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he believed God. And he went out. He believed what God had said. God spoke to him, God's word. Faith obeys. That's where it starts. The first comment about the life of Abraham here that we have here. Doesn't ask questions. Doesn't procrastinate. Doesn't give excuses. It obeys. Now, sometimes I understand that's easier said than done, you know. But faith obeys, okay? Uh, 
we're not going to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. King Saul. King Saul was, is maybe exhibit one for, for, for faith that doesn't obey, which is not faith at all. Remember the, uh, the whole series of events that goes into um, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15 and King Saul and the uh, Amalekites, and, and God had told King, King Saul in the first three verses, um, okay, I want you to kill all the Amalekites. Man, woman, child, all the animals. Get rid of all of them. Well, what did Saul do? He killed some of them. He didn't want to kill all the animals. You know, there's a lot of good prime rib there. So he didn't want to kill them all, and he left some of them. And David comes, uh, not David, Samuel comes and confronts Saul, and uh, Saul uh, gives a spiritual answer. Well, I didn't kill these animals because uh, we can worship God with these animals. Well, what did God tell him to do? Kill all the animals. Yeah. Um, Saul gives all these, these, these excuses. Um, verses... Uh, 16 through 19, Samuel again confronts Saul. Saul again makes an excuse for a third time. 22 and 23, Samuel confronts Saul. Saul again makes an excuse. And, and Saul, who had, and I believe Saul was saved. I, 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 I am totally convinced. Nobody, the, the only time I'll ever be convinced that Saul wasn't saved, when I get to heaven, and after a million years of walking around and trying to find King Saul, I don't find him. Okay, you know, or the easier, Jesus, where's, where's Saul? Well, he didn't make it. I, you know, that's the only time I'll, I'll I, I totally believe King Saul was saved. But, but he's, the, he's, the, he's the illustration of, of a believer who, try, who thought he'd do it his own way. And his life ended up being a wreck. Um, ultimately, Saul's disobedience to the word of God led to additional wrongs wrong choices, and ultimately his death. How did Saul die, remember? Fell on his sword. He committed suicide. Fell on his sword. That's what we're going to look at, exactly. Look at verses 13 and 14 of 1 Chronicles 10. So Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord. Notice where it starts. Even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not. So Saul died for his transgression against the Lord, even against the, even against the word of the Lord, because he didn't keep the word of God. He didn't obey. Now, it doesn't stop there. Because if just not obeying God in some command that he gives us would bring about death, hey, I'd be, I'd be speaking to an empty room right now. Well, I'd be dead too. <laughs> so I wouldn't be speaking. So we'd, ha we'd have, well, the earth would be littered with Christians, dead bodies. So it's not just disobeying the word of God, but one disobedience leads to another disobedience, which can get very bad and ultimately the sin unto death that 1 John 5 speaks of, which he kept not, and also... And, and here's what brought him to the sin unto death. And also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. So when he, when he disobeyed the word of God back in 1 Samuel chapter 15, even though he was confronted many times, gave excuses, ultimately that led him to getting involved in the occult. Communication with the dead, necromancy. And that led to his death. And look at what verse 14 says. And Saul inquired not of the Lord. Therefore, he, the Lord, slew him and turned the kingdom onto David, the son of Jesse. Now, when you read the 2 Samuel 24 account, Saul, the battle had turned against Saul. Things were looking terrible. He didn't want to fall into the hands of his enemy because they could be cruel. 
So he asked his armor bearer, he said, would you uh, run that sword through me? And ultimately he held it and Saul fell on it and committed suicide. And you look, you look at that account and you read it, this is totally from a horizontal viewpoint. This is what happened in the flesh, as it were. But when you look at it from God's point of view, who killed Saul? The Lord. From a human point of view, from a horizontal alone point of view, Saul committed suicide. From a vertical view, and we'll look at this a little bit more when we get into Hebrews chapter 12 on the sin unto death. But from a vertical view, point. God killed Saul. That's what it says. And he inquired not of the Lord, therefore he, the Lord, slew him, and he, and, and he, the Lord, turned the kingdom unto David, the son of Jesse. And the whole point of this, disobedience doesn't always, but can lead to the sin unto death. And there are other examples in the word of God where we find that very thing, which we'll look at when we get to Hebrews chapter 12 and the discipline of a believer. So believing the word of God is how we please God. That's faith. Luke 11, 27 and 28. And it came to pass as he spoke these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the breast which thou hast sucked. Oh, I wish I would have been your mother, Jesus. Wouldn't that have been fantastic if I could have been your mom? And I would have been the one that fed you when you were a child. And I would have been the one that raised you. And you would have come out of my womb. Wow, that would have been fantastic. Jesus said, rather, yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. You are more blessed by hearing the word of God and keeping it than in a, in a woman's situation of being the physical mother of the God of creation who took on flesh. You are more blessed, ladies, women, if you're saved than Mary. Now, Mary was saved, so, but in the sense that she brought the Savior into the world. Don't ever look down on who you are. I mean, look what Jesus says. And this, you know, if you had a choice to be Jesus' mom or to be a child of God by faith, believing the word, what would you choose? Well, I hope it's the second. That's what Jesus is saying. You're more blessed. Abraham believed the word of God. And believing what God said, he was willing to go out even though he didn't know what would occur. Faith obeys even when it doesn't know the end result. God will lead, God will provide. Uh, in Joshua 24.3, uh, it says, And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. I don't know how the battle... Usually I try to get the verse on the same page. I missed it there. But anyway, at least on the paper I got um, but anyway, um, I took your father Abraham, God is speaking, from the other side of the, uh, of, of the flood, uh, prior, you know, from the, after the flood, and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. Hey, he didn't know where he was going, but I provided, I multiplied him, I protected him, I kept him, and you can live in the same type of way. When God calls, obey. Don't procrastinate. Don't argue. Don't whine about it. Just obey. And God will provide. Well, look at verse 9. By faith, he, Abraham, sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Now, tabernacles are temporary structures. They're not mansions on the side of the hill. And uh, certainly we know Abraham was not poor, uh, but he lived in tents. He lived in dwelling places uh, with Isaac and Jacob. But he, he sojourned. He, he sojourned in the land of promise, in the land of Israel, 
uh, but as in a strange country. But this was his homeland. This is the land that God had called him to. This is the land that God said, ultimately, you and, and, and Isaac and Jacob and all your descendants will have as an inheritance forever. But when he dwelt there, he dwelt there literally as if he was in a foreign country, as if he was in a strange land. So he never had a home, dwelt in fence with his family, moved around a lot. Stephen, in his Acts 7 sermon, said this about Abraham. And said unto him, Get thee out of thy country from thy kindred. Come into the land which I will show thee. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans, that would be Iraq today, dwelt in Haran, and from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land where you now dwell, and gave him no inheritance or none inheritance in it, inheritance in it no, not so much as to set his foot on. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for possession and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. Abraham totally believed God. He never had a home. He was a sojourner. He was a wanderer. Um, and yet, he trusted totally. You know, this, this, not every verse here in this section starts out this way. Verse 8 did. But verse 9 as well, by faith. And verse 10 really ties in with verse 9 and as we go on. By faith. Why could he sojourn? Why could he do what he did? Yes. Haran uh, was, uh, wasn't that in Egypt where he went? Because before he went, no, where's Haran? Syria? Yeah, but I think he also went up to Egypt before he went down to uh, the Holy Land for a little bit. Yeah. In the Old Testament, it begins with an H. So you'll, you'll see it there. Um, well, when he had, you know, he was 100 with, with Sarah in that instance. Um, you know, that's a good question. I'm not sure offhand. He, he certainly was, his, his father was still alive when he was called out. But I would, so I don't, have, I don't have an answer for that. But I would think he's 20s, maybe 30s. Um, I don't know offhand. So When he left there, and that could be um, 75, 75 then. So, Okay. So he was in the land 25 years, roughly, before. So, um, but by faith, by faith, he believed the word of God. He believed the promises of God. That's why he could do it. Then, then in verse 10, for he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, I think this ties in with faith and uh, in the earlier part of the Word of God, in the earlier part of Genesis, prior to, we don't have really anything about heaven and what's going to be. Um, the Greek text is the definite article, the before city. He looked for the city, meaning the heavenly city. But Jewish teaching and the Bible and Christian belief uh, is that there is a heavenly Jerusalem, that there's a home in heaven one day called the heavenly Jerusalem. Uh, Zev Vilne and his legends of Jerusalem said this, not only on the face of this earth is there a Jerusalem called in Hebrew, Yerushalayim Shelmatah, Jerusalem the lower, but also in heaven there is such a city, Yerushalayim Shelmalah, Jerusalem the upper. Now, we would put it in a different way. There's a Jerusalem on earth, and we wouldn't call it the lower versus the upper, but we would talk about an earthly Jerusalem and a heavenly Jerusalem, really saying the same type of thing. Uh, Yitzhak Ha'utnun uh, did a number of monographs, writings, in this one titled Realizing the Heavenly Jerusalem. And he said this, In these legends, the heavenly Jerusalem is the archetype of the good to come, which will be revealed to all at the redemption of the world. At present, she hovers above the earthly Jerusalem even when the latter lies in ruin or sin, Babylonian captivity, worldwide captivity. But only the most righteous can see her. 
in moments of grace. In Christian tradition, she is described at the end of the New Testament as descending out of heaven perfect and complete at the consummation of history. While Jewish legends emphasize the building from below to actualize the heavenly Jerusalem. So in other words, in Jewish thought, they emphasize the earthly Jerusalem, but not to the denial of the heavenly Jerusalem. And only the most righteous can see it, which is now hovering uh, over the uh, lower Jerusalem, that which uh, you're invited to join us next October to view. Uh, but they, un they believe in a, in a heavenly Jerusalem. The Babylonian Talmud speaks of Alam Haba, the world to come literally, in this way, quote, no eating and drinking, no begetting of children, no bargaining, no jealousy and hatred, no strife. But the righteous sit with their crowns on their heads, enjoying the effulgence of the Shekinah, the presence of God. Now, this is obviously a reference to what we would call the eternal kingdom or heaven. And I agree with some of this. Um, I don't think there is... Uh, those in glorified bodies beget, well, in the eternal kingdom, I don't think there's any beginning of children. Uh, I also think there is eating, because you got all those fruit trees. But the whole point of this, this, this quote is that there is an eternal kingdom. There is a heavenly Jerusalem to come. Abraham looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. This drove him. This was the, the little engine, was that the little engine that could or whatever? You know, this is what made him do what he did. He believed the word of God. He knew where he was. That time was temporary. That God had a much better place for him. And we don't learn a lot about that in Abraham or prior to Abraham's life. We learn a lot more later on in the word of God but obviously, somehow, some way, God communicated that truth to Abraham. And we know that not everything that God communicated uh, was written down in the Word of God. Because in Jude, we are told that Enoch prophesied of the Lord coming with ten thousands, plural, of his saints. But you don't find that in, any, in Genesis at all, of Enoch saying that. But obviously he spoke of that, the Lord gave him that, and we find it in Jude where it's recorded for us. Abraham knew there was a city. <laughs> so he then, in the second point, remained where he was called. He went through difficult circumstances. The reason he could preserve is he knew God had a better place preserved for him, prepared for him. We, we also believe in the eternal kingdom and the new heaven and the new earth, Revelation 21, 23. But the whole point of this, uh, our perspective should be the eternal, not the temporal. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. And so our life should be characterized not by concerns of this world, doesn't mean we don't do what we have to do to live in this world. And we're going to look at a verse shortly about how, how the warning, in a sense, of, of not being entangled in the affairs of this world. But our whole life should be focused ultimately on, on things above, not on things of the earth. You're going to live on earth 70, 80, maybe 90, maybe 100 years. That means everybody in this room, just about, there may be one exception or two, is way past the halfway mark. We don't have 70 years left. But e heaven is forever. Eternal kingdom is forever. So where do you want to put your efforts? In a kingdom that's going to pass away, if you're 70 years old in 10 or 15 or 20 years, or if you're 50 years old, that's going to pass away if, uh, in 20 or 30 or, or 40 years or uh, fill in the blank. It, you know, it's not much more time out there for, for all of us. And, and, and we could die tomorrow. We don't know about that. But if we, you know, 
three score in 10 years if by reason of strength, four score. So let's say we're all healthy enough to live to 80 years of age. Well, subtract what you are now. How many years you got left? Uh-oh. We'll have a nice memorial funeral for you. So, okay. We don't have a lot of time here on earth. So where should we focus our efforts? Where should we focus our thoughts and our energy? Well, that's what Colossians says. That's what Abraham did. He had a better place, even though this was the holy land that had an eternal promise. He was looking for a city made by God that didn't have a human origination. It came from God. The builder and the maker is God. Go to your next page, verse 11. Now we are introduced to Sarah. Through faith, also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now, when we read about the life of Sarah in chapter 18 of Genesis, in verses 9 through 15, when, when she hears God speaking, uh, and it was God that was speaking in Genesis chapter 18, very clear, God took on flesh, amongst them and they there were two angels with God and they said unto him to Abraham where's Sarah your wife he said behold in the tent and he now one individual is speaking which is the Lord remember there's the Lord and two angels and he said I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life and lo Sarah thy wife shall have a son so he says, I will return. The only one who could return and guarantee that Sarah would have a child, would have a son, has to be God himself. So I am going to return. Sarah's going to have a child. Sarah in the tent heard it. How did she respond? She would ultimately laugh. Now, we are told in the next verse, now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age and it ceased to be with Sarah after the man or woman. In other words, my childbearing years are way past. I'm just, it ain't going to happen. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself. This was not a, a, a laugh that the whole community heard. This was Sarah just saying, hmm, it ain't going to happen. No way. It ain't going to happen. She laughed within herself, saying, after I'm so old, I've grown old, shall I have pleasure? I ain't even have pleasure. And the pleasure here would be a child. My Lord also being old also. She doubted it. She, she, this can't happen. The Lord said unto Abraham, and the Lord is the one speaking, Jehovah, at the time appointed I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then, then Sarah denied, saying, I laughed not, for she was afraid. He said, no, but thou did laugh. Now she wants to cover up her sin. Not only did she lack in faith, did she doubt what God said, but now she's covering up. I didn't laugh. Well, there's only one person who can know what happens in the heart. Abraham didn't know what happened. The angels probably didn't know what happened. They can't read hearts. Sarah knew what happened. And the Lord knew what happened. And so Sarah laughed within her heart. So, and and and... And she had to be just shocked when the Lord says unto Abraham, not to Sarah. Why did Sarah laugh? And think of Abraham's thought process and all. What do you mean she laughed? She didn't laugh. She's just in the tent. She didn't laugh. What are you saying she laughed? But the tent was close by. Sarah heard what was going on. Sarah knew this guy is different than all other men I've ever met before in my life. He knows exactly what's happening in my heart. I laughed. But she was so scared about it, she denied it. I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. I think she knew she was in the presence of deity, and she had gotten into a big hole. You know, and, and, and the first advice when you find that you're into it, a big hole is stop digging, right? 
she kept on digging. And she just said, she denied it. This is the one that knew her heart. She had to know it was deity that was speaking to her. And so she denied it. And he says, uh-uh, you laughed. I mean, she failed. I mean, this lady was just a disaster at this point, spiritually speaking. She didn't believe God. She questioned this. She denied saying or doing what she did. I mean, this was someone who was just not the epitome of faith, for sure. Three chapters later, the birth of Isaac, where Sarah would now laugh in faith. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age, <clears throat> at the set time of which God had spoke to, spoken to him. And God and Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God had made me to laugh, so that all of the here will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should indeed have children, have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. Sarah now says, I'm glad we named him Laughter. Because now when, when everybody hears his name, I can share the testimony of what God has done. And, and she went to faith. I mean, it's kind of like, you, you, may, you may have heard, what was it, uh, Southwest Airlines, I think, that, you know, you know it's unfortunate this lady went to the desk and checking in for the airplane, and uh, she had her little girl with her, and they, they mocked her name, the little girl's name, because Absidy, you heard the story? Yeah, yeah, well, that, her name was Absidy, A-B-C-D-E, first five letters of the English alphabet. And they, th they took pictures of it, and they posted it on Facebook, and they you know, making fun of it, which was cruel. But that's Isaac, <laughs> you know. Laughter, you know, that's a stupid name. Why would you call anybody laughter? You know, that's cruel and unusual punishment. Well, let me tell you, because God is so faithful. I laughed at the promises of God. And I understand now that I was wrong, and God is extremely faithful. What he says he will bring to pass. You need to follow this God. She went from a woman of doubt and questioning and not believing what God said and, and, and lying to God to a woman who embraced the laughter to use it as a testimony. And she is commended for where she ended up, not where she began, but where she ended up, through faith also Sarah received strength to conceive seed, and she was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. She understood, even though she denied it, that this is God, he will bring it to pass, and ultimately wore the name of Isaac, as it were, as, as a bat of, 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 of faith, of courage, of righteousness, of believing what God says. The whole point? Although initially doubting the promise of God, she overcame her doubts and she judged him faithful who had promised. So you may have stumbled, you may have fallen, you may have questioned, you may have doubted, but the game is not over. You can end up in the same place Sarah ended up in Hebrews chapter 11. The extended version of Hebrews chapter 11, which we'll, we'll hear about that at the, uh, at the Bema Seat judgment. So don't give up. There are many instances in Scripture where people fail God but became stronger in the end. Abraham, for example, is one. How many times did Abraham fail in his life? Over and over and over again. And yet when he came to what I call his final exam, Genesis 22, he, he passed with flying colors. He's a man of faith. Then in verse 13, Therefore, sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. Believing God ultimately sprang of this one individual who was 
as good as dead an innumerable number of people. It falls back to what God had promised Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, where your offspring uh, will be as the stars of heaven. God fulfilled that promise. But look at verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They all died in faith. Not all of us are going to see the promises of God. Do you believe in the rapture of the church? You should. Do you have any guarantee that you're going to be part of that rapture as a living person? Now, the dead in Christ, yes, shall rise first. <clears throat> but I sure hope I'm then the, then the living in Christ. I, I sure, if I have my druthers, I'm going to be the second group. Yeah. But I have no guarantee in that. You have no guarantee in that. And we may never see the rapture uh, this side of death. But that doesn't mean I'm going to stop believing in the rapture. Um, all of these people died in faith. They never, you know, they never saw the consummation of what God had promised. They never saw the Messiah. They never understood or saw what God had promised. They died in faith, not having received the promises. They saw them afar off, meaning they believed God. They knew it was going to happen. They, they, they unquestionably embraced it. They were persuaded of them. So you have to see the promises of God. Where do we see the promises of God? Right here, in the Word of God. Then when you, when you see the promises of God, what do you need to do? And you need to be persuaded that they're true. How many people read this book and don't think they're true? More than believe it's true. We need to be persuaded that this is the word of God. And again, that's what I was trying to get across when uh, I don't need scientific evidence. I don't care if DNA shows that we all come from mom and dad, the same mom and dad. I don't need that evidence. This book tells me that. We all came from the same mom and dad. You can take it as far back as Adam and Eve, or if you want to go a little bit further along in history, Noah and his wife. We all have the same parent. We're all brothers and sisters, uh, or cousins and second cousins and third cousins in the flesh. Uh, and we've talked about this before. And, and Acts chapter 17 uh, speaks that there are no races. Race, racism is an evolutionary concept that is birthed by the devil, by Satan. We are all of one blood. We are all of one skin. There is no difference. Some of us have darker skin. Some of us have lighter skin. But there are no races. It is so sad when Christians fall into the worldly, secular, evolutionary view of history. And too many Christians do instead of believing what the Bible says. Uh, we're all, if, if you would get rid of evolution, you would get rid of races. If you, how can you have racism if you don't have races? You can't. You could have anti-Semitism because in the world you do have Jews and Gentiles. And we all go back to the same parent, uh, but God breaks the humanity into just Jews and Gentiles and then he calls out of you know, them the church of God. But we could get rid of, you know, it'll never happen this side of millennium anyway. So. <clears throat> they all died in faith. They hadn't received the promises. They saw them. They were persuaded of them. What's the third thing you need to do? You need to embrace. What does embrace mean? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, you know, Bob's embracing his, and his wife doesn't want anything to do with it. 
But Bob was in See, I can see things here that y'all don't see. And Bob always sits in the back. Um, you embrace, you, you know, you, you, you hold on to it. You, and, and we have to embrace the promises of God. There you go. There you go. She didn't renege at that. Sandra was, okay. We ha you, you, have to be you have to see the promises. You have to be persuaded that God has said it. And then you have to brace, embrace it for your own. You have to hug it. You have to make it yours. You have to embrace it. Um, and then they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You have to come to the same conclusion. We have to come to the same conclusion. And in the context we're talking about, it's talking about being sojourners. This is not our home. I'm going to make a comment shortly on politics. But anyway, shortly. So, point number four. Abraham and Sarah, also Isaac and Jacob, because that back in verse 9, remember what it says? By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange company, uh, country, dwelling in tabernacles, with Isaac and Jacob. So when it says uh, in verse 13, these all died in faith. It's not only Abraham and Sarah, it'd be Isaac and Jacob. Abraham and Sarah, also Isaac and Jacob, embraced the promises of God and considered themselves strangers and foreigners as their city was to be built, built by God. We need to do the same thing. We need to see with the eyes of faith, be persuaded of God's promises, embrace his promises, and live as citizens of heaven. In other words, not discouraged, agitated, or overjoyed with whatever happens with the political system we live under. How many of you enjoyed what happened in the recent election with the Congress? You don't have to answer that. The enemy took over. They're not the enemy. They're the Democrats. We don't like their policy. We don't like, I don't like their policy. Let me speak for myself. How, how you know, they're pro-abortion. How can you vote for somebody who's pro-abortion? Um, I don't, you know. But, we sh but if, you, if you're agitated now, if you're exercised, if you're bent out of shape and can't get any sleep because Nancy Pelosi is going to be the next speaker of, Cong of the House, you've got, you've got spiritual problems. It's not that we shouldn't be interested, not that we shouldn't vote, but when, it, when it's over, it's over, and, and, and it shouldn't affect you at all. It really shouldn't, at least in your attitude. Maybe they're going to persecute you. Maybe they're going to take away your rights. Maybe they're going to do all kinds of things, but, but your attitude should be the same. And in verse 14, it says this. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. We need to be clear. We are sojourners. We don't live here. Our home is heaven. That's where we're going. We need to be plain. We need to be clear. We need to be upfront about that. For example, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, For our conversation is in heaven, from where also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Conversation is actually the word meaning citizenship. The Greek word, means a community, or abstractly meaning a citizen. Now, just figuratively, it means conversation or lifestyle. But literally, what it is saying <coughs> is our citizenship is in heaven. From whence we also look for the Savior. That should be our focus. And that's why Abraham could do what he did. That's why Sarah, that's why Isaac, that's why Jacob, because they looked for a city. They had faith and their focus was on God and his word and not the temporal. And look at verse 15. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. Now, <clears throat> that country could have been... Uh, Ur of the Chaldees? But I don't think it was Ur of the Chaldees because did Isaac and Jacob come out of Ur of the Chaldees? No, they were born in the land of promise. 
I, I think what it's talking about here is the land of Israel. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country, they might have had opportunity to have returned. If they started to focus on the country they lived in, and that override everything else, and, and, it, and it diverted their attention from heaven and their citizenship in heaven and them being sojourners, there was a great chance of them returning to the land, being defeated, in other words, spiritually. The whole point of this is, again, we all, to certain degrees, get involved in the political system, whether it's just voting or whatever. But none of us should be so involved that we lose sleep over it. I don't care who gets in power. I haven't lost a moment of sleep since the Democrats took over the Congress. I won't leave, lose a moment of sleep when they actually begin to rule in January and they uh, attempt to uh, impeach and look into our president and for all these reasons that personally I think are bogus. I won't leave, lose one minute. I may lose sleep because I had too much pizza the night before. But I won't leave sleep over that. Don't get so earthly minded that you're no heavenly good. Doesn't mean you can't be interested. Doesn't mean you can't follow it. Doesn't mean you have to like what happens. I don't like that what has happened. But, but it doesn't change my life. My attitude should be the same. My direction should be the same. And if it's not, you're in danger of going back to what you shouldn't go back to. If they had been mindful, verse 15, of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. In other words, keep your focus on heavenly things. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If ye then, then and we read 2 earlier, if ye then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. You've been risen with Christ. If you're saved, you are to seek the heavenly good, not the earthly good. And then it closes with this. But now they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly country. And because of this, wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Let, let that thought settle into your heart and mind. They desired a better country, the heavenly country, and so God is not ashamed to be their God. But what would be the, the flip side of that? If they were so involved in the world that they lived in and their focus was on the world and, and changing the world system and, and they gave hardly a thought to their heavenly city that's coming, would it be that God is ashamed to be their, called their God? Now, it doesn't mean he's not their God to be called their God. And I think both sides of the coin are true. If, if we get too wrapped up in the politics of our world, I think God's going to be ashamed to say, I'm your God. Because you're not doing what I asked you to do. I've asked you to focus on heavenly things, not on earthly things. But if you focus on earthly things, it'll be my joy I'm, I'm that person's God. I'm Abraham's God. I'm Isaac's God. I'm Jacob's God. I'm Sarah's God. I'm April and Alan's God. And I'm Ralph. And, and, and put your name in there. Wouldn't you rather hear that? Wouldn't you rather hear God say, I am, fill in the blank, your name. I am your God. And I'm not ashamed at all to say that I'm the God of you. That'll only happen if we focus on the eternal 
Got to live in the present. But don't let it consume you. And a lot of Christians, the temporal and the horizontal consumes them to the point that the vertical is an afterthought. That's what this speaks against. May God be joyful to call each one of us his children. That he can say to each one of us, I am so proud that I've called your God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. What a, what a challenge that we have. Lord, we, we live in a temporal earth. We live in a temporal system, a political system that is an, uh, just uh, anathema to everything you want. It's run by Satan. It's controlled by Satan. If we can't see that, even in our country and what's happening, we're blind. Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries, thanking you for listening to our Bible study. These Jewish Awareness Podcasts are a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. If you have questions about the study that you just listened to or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org, email us at office at jewishawareness.org, or call us at 919 919- Two seven five four four seven seven. Shalom.